Section 9 of Rough and Ready, or Life Among the New York Newsboys, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 17. Searching for Rose. If Rose passed an unhappy afternoon and evening at the new home in Brooklyn, her brother was scarcely less unhappy in his old home in New York. He loved his little sister devotedly, and the thought that she might be receiving ill treatment troubled him exceedingly. But there was this difference between them. Rose was timid and saw no other way but to endure whatever hardships her lot imposed upon her. Rough and Ready, on the other hand, was bold and enterprising and not easily discouraged. His first thought, therefore, was to get his sister back again. He had never been afraid of his stepfather for himself, only for his mother while she lived and afterwards for his little sister. In the present case, he knew that Martin was irritated at his withdrawing the little girl from him, and feared that she would fare the worse now on this account. He spent the evening with Miss Manning, who was scarcely less troubled than himself at the loss of Rose. The lonely seamstress had found a great solace and comfort in the society of the little girl, and her heart had been drawn to her. She missed her sweet face and the thousand questions which Rose was in the habit of asking as they sat together through the long day, which didn't seem half so long now as formerly when she was alone. When Rufus entered the little room, the first object his eyes rested upon was the little reading book from which Rose had been in the habit of getting her daily lessons. When will she read in it again, he thought, with a pain. She was getting along so well in her reading, said Miss Manning, who divined his thoughts. It's such a pity she should be taken away just at this time. I'll have her back, Miss Manning. You may depend upon it, said Rufus energetically. If she's anywhere in the city, I'll find her. The city is a large place, Rufus, said the seamstress, a little despondently. That's true, but I shan't have to look all over it. Mr. Martin isn't very likely to be found in Fifth Avenue, unless he's better off than he used to be. He's somewhere in the lower part of the city, on the east side, and that's where I'll look. Twouldn't be much use looking over the arrivals at the Astor House or St. Nicholas. That's true, said Miss Manning, smiling faintly. There was reason in what the newsboy said, but as we know, he was mistaken in one point. Mr. Martin was not in the lower part of the city on the east side, but in Brooklyn. But it was only the accident of his having found work there which had caused him to remove across the river. "'Where shall you look first? asked Miss Manning. "'I shall go to Leonard Street, where we used to live.' "'Do you think your stepfather lives there now?' "'No, but perhaps I can find out there where he does live.' Rufus went round to the lodging-house at the usual time. On getting up in the morning, instead of going to the paper offices as usual, he went round to Leonard Street. His anxiety to gain, if possible, some tidings about Rose would not permit him to delay unnecessarily. Just in front of his old home he saw a slatternly-looking woman, one of the inmates of the tenement-house. She recognized the newsboy at once. "'Where did you come from?' she asked. "'I haven't seen you for a long time.' "'No, I'm living in another place now. "'Have you seen anything of Mr. Martin lately?' "'Ain't you living with him now?' "'No, I've left him. "'I suppose he isn't in the old room.' "'No, he went away some weeks ago. "'The agent was awful mad because he lost his rent.' "'Then he hasn't been back since?' "'I haven't seen him. "'Maybe some of the rest in the house may know where he is. "'Are you going to live with him again?' "'No,' said the newsboy. "'I'd rather take care of myself.' "'And how's that little sister of yours?' He's carried her off. That's why I'm trying to find him. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't trouble myself. You don't say so. Well, that's a pity. He isn't fit to take care of her. I suppose you'll find her. Thank you, Mrs. Simpson. I guess I'll go upstairs and ask some of the rest. 
Rough and Ready ascended the stairs and called upon some of his old acquaintances, with inquiries of a similar character, but he got no information likely to be of service to him. Martin had not been seen near his old lodging since the day when he had disappeared, leaving his rent unpaid. "'Where shall I go next?' thought the newsboy irresolutely. This was a question more easily asked than answered. He realized that to seek for Rose in the great city, among many thousands of houses, was something like seeking a needle in a haystack. "'I'll go and get my papers,' he decided, "'and while I'm selling them, perhaps I may think of where to go next. "'It'll be a hard job, but I'm bound to find Rose if she's in the city.' That she was in the city he did not entertain as a doubt. Otherwise, he might have felt less sanguine of ultimate success. He obtained his usual supply of papers, and going to his wanted stand, began to ply his trade. "'You're late this morning, ain't you?' asked Ben Gibson, a boot-black, who generally stood at the corner of Nassau Street and Printing House Square. "'Overslept yourself, didn't you?' "'No,' said the newsboy, "'but I had an errand to do before I began. "'Get paid for it?' "'Not unless I pay myself. "'It was an errand of my own.' "'I can't afford to work for myself,' said Ben. "'A chap asked me yesterday why I didn't black my own shoes. "'I asked him who was to pay for me doing it. "'Blacking costs money, and I can't afford to work for nothing.' "'Ben's shoes certainly looked as if no blacking had ever been permitted "'to soil their virgin purity. "'Indeed, it is rather a remarkable circumstance "'that though the boot blacks generally have at least three-fourths of their time unoccupied "'and sometimes remain idle for hours at a time,' It never occurs to them, so far at least as the writer's observation extends, to use a little of their time in blacking and improving the condition of their own shoes or boots, when they happen to have any. Whether this is owing to a spirit of economy, or to the same cause which hinders the physician from swallowing his own pills, it is not easy to say. The newsboys, on the contrary, occasionally indulge in the luxury of clean shoes. "'Your shoes don't look as if they'd been black lately,' said Rough and Ready. "'No more they haven't. They can't stand such rough treatment. It would be too much for their delicate constitutions.' This was not improbable, since the shoes in question appeared to be on their last legs, if such an expression may be allowed. "'I like to have my shoes look neat,' said Rufus. "'Don't you want to shine?' asked Ben, with a professional air. "'Can't afford it. Maybe I will, though, if you'll trade. As how? Shine my shoes, and I'll give you a sun.' "'That ain't but two cents,' said Ben dubiously. "'I know that, but you oughtn't to charge me more than the wholesale price. "'Anything in the sun this morning?' "'Full account of a great murder out in Buffalo,' said the newsboy in his professional tone. "'Well, I don't know, but I'll do it,' said Ben. "'Only if a gent comes along what wants a shine, you must let me off long enough to do the job. "'I'll finish yours afterwards.' "'All right.' Ben got out his brush and, getting on his knees, began operations. "'Herald, Times, Tribune, World!' the newsboy continued to cry. "'Seems to me, young man, you're rather particular about your appearance for a newsboy,' said a gentleman, who came up just as Ben was giving the finishing touch to the first shoe. "'Oh,' said Ben, speaking for his customer, "'he only sells papers for amusement. "'He's a young chap of fortune and his first cousin to the King of Mulberry Street.' "'Indeed, I think I must purchase a paper then. "'You may give me the Herald. "'Here it is, sir.' "'Do you also black boots for amusement?' addressing Ben. "'Well,' said Ben, "'it may be a very amusing occupation for some, "'but I find it rather wearing to the knees of my pantaloons. "'It sort of unfits me for genteel society.' "'Then why don't you select some other business?' "'Cause I can't make up my mind whether I'd rather be a lawyer or a banker. "'While I'm deciding, I may as well black boots. "'You're an original, I see.' "'Thank you for the compliment,' and Ben rose from his knees, having made the newsboy's second shoe shine like a mirror. 
Now, mister, if you'd like to have your boots shined up by a gentleman in reduced circumstances, I'm ready for the job. Well, perhaps I may as well. So, you're in reduced circumstances, my lad. Yes, sir, my aristocratic relatives have disowned me since I took to black and boots, just like they did Ferdinand Montressor in the great play at the Old Bowery when he lost his fortune and went to tend and bar for a living. I suppose Ferdinand came out right in the end, didn't he? Yes, sir, owing to the death of fifteen of his nearest relations who got blown up in a steamboat explosion. He became the owner of Montressor Castle and a big pile of money besides and lived happy forever after. Well, my lad, perhaps you'll be lucky too. Maybe you're meaning to give me a quarter for blacking your boots, said Ben shrewdly. No, I wasn't intending to do it, but as you're a gentleman in reduced circumstances, I don't know, but I will. Thank you, sir, said Ben, pocketing the money with satisfaction. Any time you want your boots black, just call on me, and I'll give you the bulliest shine you ever saw. All right, good morning. When you get into your castle, I'll come and see you. Thank you, sir. I hope you'll live long enough to do it. That's wishing me a long life, I take it, said the gentleman, smiling. You're in luck, Ben, said the newsboy. That's so. He's what I call a gentleman. Lucky for you, he isn't in reduced circumstances like me. Here's your son. When I get rich, I'll pay you better. Ben began to spell out the news in the sun with some difficulty, for his education was limited, and Rufus continued to cry his papers. At the end of half an hour, happening to have his face turned towards the corner of Nassau Street, he made a sudden start as he saw the familiar figure of Martin, his stepfather, just turning into the square. Chapter 18. A Parley with the Enemy It has already been stated that James Martin's motive in recovering Rose was not a feeling of affection for her, for this he had never had, but rather a desire to thwart Rufus and his plans. The newsboy's refusal to work for his support had incensed his stepfather, and Martin was a man who was willing to take considerable trouble to gratify his spite. It was quite in accordance with this disposition of his, that after recovering Rose in the manner we have seen, he was not content until he had seen her brother and exulted over him. On the day succeeding, therefore, instead of going to work, he came over to New York for the express purpose of witnessing our hero's grief and chagrin at the loss of his sister. He knew very well where to find him. Rough and Ready surveyed the approach of his stepfather with mingled anger and anxiety. He it was that held in his power the one whom the newsboy loved best. Rufus guessed his motive in seeking him now, and knowing that he intended to speak to him, awaited his address in silence. "'Well, Rufus,' said Mr. Martin with a malicious grin, "'how are you this morning?' "'I am well,' said the newsboy shortly." I am glad to hear it, said Martin. I'd ought to feel glad of it. You've been such a dutiful son. I am not your son, said Rough and Ready, in a tone which indicated that he was very glad that no such relationship existed between them. That's lucky for me, said Martin. I wouldn't own such a young cub. When I have a son, I hope he'll be more dutiful and treat me with more gratitude. What should I be grateful for? demanded the newsboy quickly. Didn't I take care of you and give you victuals and clothes for years? Not that I know of, said Rufus coolly. I've had to support myself and help support you ever since we came to New York. So you complain of having to work, do you? Because I was a poor man and couldn't support you in idleness. You think you're ill-used? I never complained of having to work. I am willing to work hard for myself and Rose. How is Rose now? I hope she is well, said Martin with a smile of triumph. 
"'That's what I'd like to have you tell me,' said Rufus, looking steadily at Martin. "'Where have you carried my sister?' "'What should I know of your sister?' said Martin. "'The last I knew, you kidnapped her from my care and protection.' "'Your care and protection,' repeated Rough and Ready disdainfully. "'What care did you ever take of her? "'You did nothing for her support, but came home drunk about every day. "'You couldn't take care of yourself, much less anyone else.' "'Do you want a lickin?' asked Martin angrily, approaching a little nearer. "'Rough and Ready didn't budge an inch, for he was not in the least afraid of his stepfather.' "'I wouldn't advise you to try it, Mr. Martin,' he said composedly. "'I am able to take care of myself.' "'Are you? I am happy to hear it,' sneered Martin, repressing his anger, as he thought that, after all, he had it in his power to punish Rufus more effectually and safely through his sister than by any attempt at present violence. "'I'm happy to hear it, for I've relieved you of any other care. I will take care of Rose now.' "'Where is she?' asked Rufus anxiously. "'She's safe,' said Martin. "'Is that all you're going to tell me? "'It's all you need to know. "'Only if you're very anxious to contribute to your sister's support, "'you can hand me the money, and it shall go for her board.' "'As he looked at Martin with his air of insolent triumph, "'the newsboy felt that he hated him. "'It was not a Christian feeling, but it was a very natural one. "'This was the man who had made his mother's life a wretched one, "'and had hastened her death, who in this and other ways had brought grief and trouble upon Rose and himself, and who now seemed determined to continue his persecutions out of a spirit of miserable spite and hatred. He would hardly have been able to control his temper, but he knew that Martin would probably wreak vengeance upon his sister for anything he might do to provoke him, and he resolved, poor as the chance was, to try and see if he could not conciliate him and induce him, if possible, to give up Rose again to his own care. Mr. Martin, he said, Rose will only be a trouble and expense to you. Why won't you bring her back? You don't care for her, but she is my sister, and I will willingly work for her support. Rose must stay with me, said Martin. If you're so anxious to pay her expenses, you can pay me. I want her to live with me. Sorry, I couldn't accommodate you, said Martin, but your influence was bad on her. I can't allow you to be together. She's been growing a great deal with since she was with me. I carried her yesterday to a nice, respectable boarding place, and the fust thing she did was to get to fightin' with another little gal in the house. Where was that? Maybe you'd like to have me tell you. Rose is a very sweet, peaceable little girl, and if she got into trouble, the other girl was to blame. The other girl's a little angel, so her mother says, and she ought to know. Rose has got a sullen, bad temper, but I'll break her of it, see if I don't. "'If you ill-treat my sister, it'll be the worse for you,' said Rough and Ready hotly. "'Hoity-toity! I guess I can punish my child if I see fit without asking your leave. "'She isn't your child. I've got her in my charge, and I mean to keep her.' This was unfortunately true, and Rufus chafed inward that it was so. To think that his darling little Rose should be in the power of such a coarse brute was enough to fill him with anger and despair. But what could he do?' Was there any way in which he could get her back? If he only knew where she was! But of this he was entirely ignorant. Indignant as he was, he must use conciliating means as long as there was any chance that these would avail anything. He thought of the money he had laid aside, and it occurred to him that Mr. Martin might be accessible to a bribe. He knew that his stepfather was very poorly provided with money, unless he had greatly improved in his habits upon his former mode of life. At all events, he could but fail, and he determined to make the attempt. 
Mr. Martin, he said, if you'll bring my sister back and agree not to take her away from me again, I'll give you ten dollars. Have you got so much money? asked Martin doubtfully. Yes. Where did you get it? I earned it. Have you got any more? A little. The newsboy did not think it expedient to let his stepfather know precisely how much he had, for he knew his demands would rise with the knowledge. How much more? persisted Martin. I can't exactly say. Have you got fifteen dollars? I will try to raise it if you will bring back my sister. Martin hesitated. Fifteen dollars was not to be despised. This sum would enable him to live in idleness for a time. Besides, he would be relieved of the expenses of Rose, and this would amount in time to considerable. As he did not pretend to feel any attachment to his stepdaughter, and didn't expect to receive any pleasure or comfort from her society, it certainly seemed to be a desirable arrangement. But on the other hand, it was pleasant to a man like Martin to feel that he had someone in his power over whom he could exercise control, and upon whom he might expend his anger. Besides, he would keep Rufus in a constant state of trouble and anxiety, and this too was something. Still, he did not like to give up wholly the chance of gaining the fifteen dollars. After a little hesitation, he said, Have you got the money with you? No. Have you any of it with you? Only a dollar or two. That won't do. Why do you ask? Because I should want part or the whole of it in advance. I shouldn't be willing to pay you in advance, said the newsboy, whose confidence in his stepfather's integrity was by no means large. Why not? I'll pay you when you bring Rose. That's fair enough. Perhaps you wouldn't have the money. Then you could carry her back again and have all my trouble for nothing. You won't have all your trouble for nothing. I want Rose back and I shall be sure to have the money with me. Mr. Martin reflected a moment. He knew that he could trust the newsboy's word. Much as he disliked him, he knew that if he made a promise, he would keep it, if there was a possibility of his doing so. Fifteen dollars was quite a sum to him, for it was a long time since he had had so much, and such were his shiftless habits that it would probably be a long time before he would have it, especially if he had to pay for the board of Rose. Again it occurred to him that if he should surrender Rose and receive the money, he might steal her again, and thus lose nothing— but then it was probable that Rufus would guard against this by removing to a different quarter of the city and not permitting Rose to go out unaccompanied. So there was a little conflict in his mind, and finally he came to this decision. He would not surrender Rose quite yet. He wanted to torment both her and her brother a little longer. There was time enough to make the arrangement a week hence. Perhaps by that time the newsboy would be ready to increase his offer. Well, said Rough and Ready, what do you say? I'll think about it. You'd better decide now. No, I don't feel like it. Do you think I'm ready to give up my little daughter's society after having her with me only a day? And he smiled in a way that provoked Rufus as he knew it would. Will you bring her tomorrow? Asked the newsboy, who felt that he must hold his anger in check. Maybe I'll bring her in the course of a week. That is, if she behaves herself. I must break her of some of her faults. She needs training. She's a good little girl. She's got to be better before I give her back. Hope you won't fret about her. And Martin walked away with a half laugh as he saw the trouble which the newsboy couldn't help showing in his face. A sudden idea came to Rufus. Ben, he said, beckoning to Ben Gibson, who had just got through with the job. Do you see that man, the one you've been talking with? Yes. Well, what about him? I'll give you a dollar if you'll follow him and find out where he lives. Of course, he mustn't know that you are following him. 
Maybe he isn't going home. Never mind. Follow him if it takes you all day, and you shall have the dollar. Maybe I'll get off the track. You're too sharp for that. You see, Ben, he's carried off my little sister, and I want to find out where he has put her. Just find out for me where she is, and we'll carry her off from him. That'll be bully fun, said Ben. I'm your man. Just take care of my box, and I'll see what I can do. Mr. Martin had turned down Spruce Street. He kept on his way, not suspecting that there was someone on his track. End of section 9. Recording by Tori Falder.